Good morning. You may go ahead and have a seat. We are so glad to have you here this morning. Uh, I really wanted to be here last week, but the death flu going around had a different opinion. And so I messaged Dave on Friday and said, you're in, bud. Uh, here's some hen scratch notes. Figure it out. And I heard great reports. I heard Dave did a great job. Kathy's a big fan. That's all that we need to know. <laughs> Dave's got one. And so uh, we're going to dig in today. And when I say we're going to dig in, we're going to dig in. We're going to dive right into the scriptures. And I contemplated reading these scriptures and just closing the service. Thanks for that cough. That's perfect time. <laughs> I contemplated just reading this and be like, go. Here's what I was going to read to you. But I say, love your enemies. The end. I was going to say, if you don't have any enemies, if you don't have any relational opposition, if you get along with everybody in the world and your family is super tight and well-knit and everybody thinks well of you and you think well of everybody else, church canceled. <laughs> but by the chance, just by the chance, that maybe we live with some interpersonal strife from time to time, let me share a few more words with you. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away from your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is this to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And to make matters even more complicated, here's what Paul had to say about the issue. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those, and oh, sorry, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And everyone said, but really, like honestly, I mean, really, I was thinking about this scripture today, like love your enemies. I don't know. I think Jesus misfired. <laughs> I would prefer he just said tolerate your enemies. Yes. I don't know. I'd prefer if he just said, cut people out of your life who rub you the wrong way. Yes? 
I kind of wish he said, if your neighbor drives you crazy, it's on your neighbor's responsibility to move. I, I even have margin. If Jesus wanted to be really creative, I could even get behind if Jesus said, if you bump into people at Walmart that you don't like, smile at them, and then gossip about them in your car and your drive home. Like, I know you guys would never do that, but hypothetically, if Jesus just said, just smile at people and then think whatever you want to think on your own time, that's close enough. Are we warm at all? Like, there's something inside this. Can we be honest? We don't like this and don't want to do it. Yes or no? You're way too quiet. <clears throat> I don't know about you, it's not that I find it impossible to love my enemies, although I do at times. I don't want to love them. Is that fair? See, the issue is not even with possible or impossible. The issue is a matter of desire. And I don't know if you know it, but when you are hearing the phrase, like, love your enemy, uh, honor those who persecute. Persecute is like people who attack you, work against you. If they steal your jacket, give them your Under Armour sweater as well. Something inside of you should feel like, nope. If you are listening at all and you have a heartbeat, something inside of you should say, not a chance. I will not be a doormat and walked over by the crazies of this community. Listen, we're going to get way more honest, so you better dial in now, quickly. There's, here's what's happening inside of you. Something inside of you, when you hear the idea of love your enemies, something inside of you says, I'll do it if they do it. Something inside of you is saying, I'll honor people as long as we all agree that we all have to honor everybody. We'll all do it together. It's like at the dinner table when, when well, Julia says, everyone eats their veggies and then looks at me. And it's kind of this thing like, we're all going to do this so the kids see that we're all doing this. There's something about what Jesus is saying that nobody here wants to step out and love their enemies in case their enemies don't love them back and reciprocate. Like, if we all have to do it, then fine, but I'm not going first. And what that is inside of you, let me put words to it. Two God things are clashing inside of you. You may not know this, but when, when Jesus says to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, something good that God put inside of you is flaring up. It's called your sense of justice. You, maybe you didn't know this. If you have to love people who wrong you, something inside of you says, that's not fair. Right? Something, and that's a God thing. God placed inside of you, because you are made in the image of God, and he is just, something inside of you says, that's not just. I will give them a fair return on what they give me. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who work against you. If they steal, give them something for free on top. Like, there's something going on here that we all, if we're being honest, should say, that's impossible, and I don't want to. It would be, I think, a misfire if I preached here today on 
loving your enemies because Jesus says love, so go do it. I think it'd be a misfire if someone steals your tools from your shed, go deliver some more free tool. Like, to explain that at the surface level would be a misfire because it's not going to land right because there's something going on behind. I, I think what's going on here when Jesus says love your enemies, I would contend that this is the one of, if not the most ignored words of Jesus by the church. Maybe you would disagree. But I feel like of all the things that Jesus said that people like, this is stuff we don't like. When it says honor your father and your mother, like, meh, okay, I, I, can, I can do that. Give to the poor, I can do that. Visit the needy and the sick. I, these are all do good things. When Jesus says love those who work against you in your oppos is opposition to you, the church almost universally just doesn't do it. The feuding and the frictions and the fighting and all the stuff is in direct opposition to what Jesus and Paul said, which means to say it's not that we're confused. I don't think this is an intellectual issue. There's something going on differently. You are not here, or so I'm going to phrase this right. You're here, but you're not shocked that Jesus said love your enemies. That doesn't shock you. It still does not increase the odds that you're going to do it. There's something behind the words that we often miss. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes of what's behind what Jesus is saying. The first thing I want to talk to you about behind the words of loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, going, like, behind that, I would contend, is a gospel worldview. There are things that Jesus believes to be true and Paul believes to be true that some of you do not believe to be true, which makes loving your enemies really, really difficult. Here's, here's what I believe to be true in my worldview. I don't know what your, your worldview is, but each and every person has a worldview. Everybody here, you walk around every day with a set of glasses on, metaphorically speaking, and you filter whatever happens in the world through those filters. So my worldview affects how I see everything. So if I say to you, what do you think of the planet? Like the world, the globe, what do you think of it? Your worldview will dictate what you think of it. My worldview, when I think of the planet, here's my worldview. God made the heavens and the earth. It was for his glory and our enjoyment. So he built it. There are things that we have not discovered in this world and in this universe that's not for us. It's for his glory and splendor, but we get to enjoy it. However, sin came into the world, and the world itself is slightly cracked and broken. You use the word cursed. When sin came in, God cursed the world. It's broken and fractured, meaning tsunamis, earthquakes, these natural disasters that happen are part of this world not being as it should be. This is not as good as it gets. But your worldview might say that it is. So then I would contend to you, what do you do when a tsunami happens and wipes out a village? We might both say it's tragic and horrific, and it is. But you might say, why would this happen? I would not say that. 
My worldview says the world's not okay. The globe, the planet, is broken and fractured. When Jesus came and died on the cross to reconcile people, Scripture actually says he came to reconcile all things, meaning the very earth we live on. The planet has been stained by sin. That's my worldview. I can't make it your worldview, but it's mine. So when something happens, when an earthquake happens, I will grieve with those who grieve, but I will not ask why. I believe it's broken and cursed. Does that track? Second question then, what do you think of people? Your worldview affects how you see people. When people do things, wrong you and harm you, your worldview affects the filter by which you see those things. My worldview, I believe God made humanity. I believe he made us in his image, but because we're not God, we fall short of his standards. Because we fall short of God's standards, we have a propensity or a habit to choose things, to make decisions, or act in ways that harm ourselves and people around us. That's my worldview. I believe that when Jesus came and died for us, it wasn't just to get us to go to, go to heaven when we die. While that's true, I believe he came to heal the brokenness for which we often live out harming ourselves and other people. That's my worldview. And you might say, so what? It's important. When people in this community or in this church do wicked, evil, and vile things, I don't ask why. I have never asked why. People come to my office and tell me all manner of outlandish things that happen. I have never been shocked. I've been surprised, but I've never been shocked. My worldview says we're broken, we're flawed, we do things that we ought not to do. That's my worldview. Does that track? It doesn't have to be your worldview, I'm just telling you mine. To make matters more complicated, it's not just that we fall short of God's glorious standard. I believe my worldview was what Scripture teaches me as the gospel folds out. People are not my opposition or actually my enemies. I believe we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual world, and two people who are fallen and broken, there's actually a third factor at play, and that is sin. When people hurt people, they square off on each other. When marriages get into strife, they square off on each other. When couples sit down in front of me, they say, well, if she wouldn't do X, Y, or Z, then I wouldn't do your, your wife's not your problem. Well, you don't know her like I do. I wouldn't say another word, bud. Your wife's not your problem. Well, I married this buffoon, and he did X, Y, and Z. Buffoonery or not, he's not your problem. See, here's the first thing in marriage counseling. Each other are not each other's problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is acting or getting people to act and behave in a way that is hurtful and wounding each other. We square off on each other. Part of loving your enemies is to have a worldview that says they're not actually my enemies. They are broken, hurting people doing broken, hurting things to each other. It increases my compassion and my sympathy to realize this is what broken people do to other broken people. 
we hurt each other. Does that track? I'm telling you, it will change everything when you realize the other person, the guy I work with, it's not the person. We are in a spiritual battle. It is not against flesh and blood. He is acting out of hurts and wounds in his life that you know nothing about. And all of a sudden, you, it allows you to pray for them, not because you're tight, but because you have compassion for what they must be going through. Does that land? It changes everything. Now, I don't know what your, your worldview is, but it allows me to see people differently when I realize it's not them. This is part of a fallen, broken world. Now, the second thing I would say when it comes to loving your enemies that you need to have sorted out if that's going to happen is it's not just that you have a biblical or gospel worldview. It's that you yourself are rooted in Christ. Now, to push out a little bit into the room, you may or may not know this, but Southwest Nova is one of the last fundamentally religious communities in Canada. Did you know that? Canada is by far, is, it is becoming liberal at breakneck speed. Southwest Nova is kind of a bubble belt in a predominantly liberal country. People here kind of fundamentally believe there's a God. They kind of believe he's out there doing good things by and large. If I tell people I'm a pastor, more often than not, they say, well, that's kind of cool. Like, that's cool that you're helping people. Like, by and large, we're not alienated in Yarmouth by being Christians. You may feel that way, but trust me, it's far better here than other places. But the danger is, we can confuse living in a religious society as being a Christian community. And you might think, because you go to church and you have a fundamental biblical worldview— that somehow you and Jesus are tight. See, it's just not that you need to see the world with a gospel lens. If I'm going to love my enemies, I must be rooted in Christ. You can't fight for peace in your family, in your community, if you're not rooted in peace. There are boats that are heading out in about 10 days or so. And one of the things that the boats and the captains and the crews understand in Southwest Nova is that the wind is far stronger than the boats. Right? The wind will push the boat wherever the wind wants because it's a greater force. Unless the boat is anchored down, it will move at the demands of the wind. You're the same. If you are not anchored and rooted in something— the winds of culture will push you all over the place. Some of you feel like you're always in chaos, turmoil, relational strife. I say this with love, but your problem is not all of the people. It's you. I don't mean that you're the person of a problem, but you can't solve the tensions of all the people around you. If you want to find peace, it's not to convince everybody around you to live more peaceably. It's to root you in the source of peace. If you try to fight and control everybody in your sphere, you will lose. I promise you. If you root yourself in the prince of peace, all of a sudden, wherever you go, gets more peaceful. 
Now, you can push back and say, that's spiritual, high-minded, pie-in-the-sky nonsense. I promise you it isn't. Almost every meeting I have is chaos and relational strife by what I do. The difference is I'm not rooted in all of the meetings that I, ta that I take. Almost every message that comes my way is something dramatic, heavy, or broken. I'm a pastor. It's kind of like being a doctor. No one comes to the doctor and says, I'm all healthy. Then why did you make the appointment? By and large, Dave and I deal with people who are in relational turmoil and strife. But because I'm rooted in Christ, it does two things for me. It allows me to differentiate myself from the chaos and crisis around me. When some of you come and bring your worst, most dramatic, most difficult seasons of life, I empathize with you, and then I go home and sleep peacefully that night. You need me to do that, by the way. I can only do that as long as I'm rooted in Christ and not your drama. I can only live at peace and be peaceful in chaotic times as so much as I'm rooted in Jesus and not the drama of Southwest Nova. When, when, when the community is being ripped apart by proof of vaccinations and all people are going sideways, I'm not rooted in the team vaccination or team Novax. I'm rooted in Jesus. I'm not in the drama. I'm one layer removed from it while I love both parties on both sides. The problem for some of you, and I love you, you're not rooted in Jesus. You're rooted in whatever drama is happening in front of you. You need to love that room, be present, but be rooted in Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith and the Prince of Peace. He goes with you wherever you go. The second thing that being rooted in Jesus does, <laughs> please hear me with all the love in the world. I can turn all your volume down. Please hear me in the best, best way. Your opinions of me don't matter to me nearly as much as Jesus' opinions of me. Some of you need to care more about what Jesus thinks of you than what the chaos around you thinks of you. The room's getting real quiet. Are you still tracking? I'm going to get, we're, on, we're, just, we're still warming up just so you know. Please hear me. And Julia's at home watching this online. She knows this to be true. What Jesus thinks of me is more important than what Julia thinks of me. What, what Jesus thinks of Julia is far more important than what I think of Julia. What Jesus thinks of me is far more important than what my kids think of me. Your spouse, I need you to know this, is biased. Your spouse is selfish. Your spouse is sinful. If their voice trumps Jesus' voice in your life, you're on a quick road to being unhappy. Do I love Julia's opinions? Sometimes. <laughs> you thought I was going to lie to you there, didn't you? Sometimes. Sometimes she's flat wrong. And I need to turn the dial down on Julia and turn up on Jesus. But listen, Julia needs to mute me from time to time. <laughs> Just cut me right out. Because I'm unhealthy, I'm tired, I'm wounded, and I yammer on, and she needs to go, mute, turn Jesus up. Your kids, especially at seasons in their life, will say outlandishly hurtful things to you. Mute, Jesus, 
max. Now you're thinking, man, this is so unloving. No, it's not. Julia's ability to love me well can only happen when she hears Jesus clearly. I will do things to hinder her ability to love me. She needs to turn me down. Your kids, your ability to love them sometimes has to, shh, child, you don't know which what you say. I'm taking my orders from Jesus. I promise you it, it transforms everything in your life. Your kids, your parents, your boss, your coworkers, everybody's biased. You need the voice of truth speaking loudly to you. Did you hear me, church? Some of you are living wounded and defined and at odds with somebody who said something hurtful to you, and that's reverberating in your head. You forgot to ask yourself, is it true? Just because someone says it doesn't make it true unless it was Jesus. So watch freedom reign in this place when Jesus' voice is the loudest voice in your life. Number three. Now we're going to get y'all stretched out and ready. This is all warm up. This is the easy stuff. Here's the greatest gift I can ever give you. If you don't write this down, this is your fault. This is so good. You ready? When you're learning to love your enemies, here's the most important thing you can ask. I don't see pens getting ready. <laughs> Someone's pen ran right out. Are you ready? This will change your life. What does love require? This will change everything. Now here's what happens. When somebody wounds you, when somebody offends you, when someone wrongs you, and people will, I'm not minimizing that, you will want to ask, what do they deserve next? That's why many of you get wronged at work and you drive home plotting the entire time, right? Some of you drive home tearing into your steering wheel, thinking it's your boss. Some of you drive home, go to bed at night like, oh man, come tomorrow, I dare someone to cross me. I'm coming to, to work, both barrels loaded, and the minute someone says something, I'm going to blast them and shred them. I will give them a piece of my mind and a piece of somebody else's mind. Like, you have had these fantasizing thoughts, have you not? For some of you, like, no, 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 no. I'm not so barbaric. For some of you, you cold shoulder people. You freeze them out relationally. You're not aggressive. You're passive aggressive. So you're like, oh yeah, you're going to cross me? I'll just freeze you out. Some of you love playing games with texting. Just to prove a point, you just won't respond. You'll go radio silent for a few weeks just to let them know you're in control. We, everything inside of us, wants to retaliate with what we think they deserve. The flesh feels good when we get to give them a piece of it. The other question says, what does love require? I think one of the things that doesn't happen often enough is that people don't have a love ethics for which they live by. If I stopped you on the foyer and say, what is your love ethics? What are the codes and rules you live by so that, as Paul said, you can live peaceably with others as much as it be your will? Some of you don't know what the answer is. You don't know what your ethics are. So every situation is, 
ever-changing and volatile, and you never know what you're going to do. You never know how you're going to react. When you ask the question, what does love require, it creates a code of ethics. And as to not be veiled, I brought you some of mine. I have a few love ethics things that I live by that help me rule when life gets chaotic and crazy. When you're a pastor, that's almost every day. So here are, I'll actually tell you a few of mine. And if you think I'm lying, you can call, you can call it out live online and they'll all hear you call me a liar. But here's my love ethics. This might make sense to you once you hear it. I have already decided that I will not debate somebody in a text or in a comment section on social media. That's a rule I live by. There have been times people have tried to bait me into a debate on a text. I just phone them. All of a sudden, my name comes up. One time, someone started to debate me in a text. I drove to their house. <laughs> it's not to bully. It's I refuse to let conversations go into the swamp of texting. When we text each other, you don't know my mood and I don't know yours. I don't know your facial reactions and you can't see mine. I don't know the kind of day you're having. So to drive by and blast you, it's so unfair. Social media, I will not debate. Some people have commented on my post to try to pull me into a debate. You won't see it happen. You also won't see the direct message I send back door. <laughs> Think coffee, phone call, or chat. I am not debating on something as low as digital communication. It's part of my love ethics. One of my other love ethics that I live by and I won't bend on it, I have decided already that if I have offended somebody, I make the walk. I don't sit and wait for them to make the walk. This may shock you, but I offend people all the time. Mostly the staff, first and foremost. I can be a bit aggressive and hard-charging. I know you find that hard to believe. But there are days I get revved up and ramped up, and I will say something cutting, and then Dave will look at me and think, uh-oh, I think I dinged Dave today. Tom will look, oh, there's Tom, or Brett. Or, like, I will just say things because I am a fallen, broken person. We've already agreed on this. So when I do something that I realize I've wounded somebody, I have already decided in advance I'm making the walk. You do not decide, will I make the walk this time? That's too situational. I will always make the walk. I've told the staff, if I offend you, you are always welcome to come in and let me have it. You can ask them when I'm not around to see if I'm lying to you. But if you wait for situation to situation, you will try to decide in the moment, will I do the right thing this time? Decide in advance that when I am offended, I will seek reconciliation, and when someone comes to me, the answer is always yes to forgiveness. I got, no, no, no amen on that one. See, too many people have situational love ethics. Number three that I try to live by, I have already decided in advance that if someone has wounded me, this is going to change your life. I have already decided that I will not assume malicious intent. Some of you are always in drama and cranked up with people because you always assume malicious intent. You always ascribe a narrative to everything. I need you to know this. Sometimes people hurt you, hold your chairs, this will change your life because they're stupid. <laughs> Sorry. 
Some of you are trying to figure it out. Like, I wonder why Steve said that. Because Steve's kind of dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry this is the most place you're coming for truth. Oh, I, 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 think, I think Dave forgot to come visit me. He said he was going to. He's forgetful. That's all that there is. So many people ascribe narrative. Oh, I think Dave's mad at me. Oh, he's mad. Well, if he's mad, no, I'm mad back at Dave. <laughs> Stop ascribing malicious intent. Most people aren't smart enough to be malicious against you. They're just kind of foolish. They make mistakes. They're fallen. They're broken. You could give yourself hundreds of sleepless nights by just cutting out of your life, I will not assume malicious intent. You as a church family can't offend me. Ask the staff. I have decided in my head that when you do crazy things, and some of you do some wildly crazy things, I refuse to believe it's an attack against me. If you want to offend me, you're going to have to come find me and tell me I'm trying to offend you. Because <laughs> I just re-narrate. I refuse to believe that you guys are malicious people. I refuse to believe you're out to get somebody. I just think some of you are stupid. <laughs> Please hear me in love. But guess what, church? I need you to hear this. I'm not maliciously working against you. I'm just kind of stupid sometimes. I'm just kind of dumb sometimes. And some of you have a scratch. Well, I think he's mad. Well, I think this. No, 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 no. I'm just broken. I'm just a broken person doing broken things from time to time, and I don't condone it. I just don't lose sleep over it. And I'm telling you, if some of you don't work out your love ethics, you are going to go from dramatic situation to chaotic situation to crisis for the rest of your life. I'm inviting you the choice is yours, but I'm inviting you to adopt a biblical worldview. God is perfect, and that's the end of the list. He made us in his image, but we are fallen, broken individuals. And if you put two broken people, let alone 175 broken people in a room, we're going to wound each other with a biblical narrative, and you realize the only hope in this room of people not wounding each other is Jesus. That's the only reason we don't hurt each other more is the hope and healing of Jesus. When you realize that this is not just true for our communities, but I singularly need to be rooted in Jesus, it changes everything. I cannot love you the way you needed to be, need to be loved if I'm not rooted in Jesus. I don't have it. But I need you to know you don't have what it takes to love me the way I need to be loved. I know me. I'm ridiculous. If you're not rooted in Jesus, we will feud one day to a toxic level. I promise you. We're too broken to not. But rooted in Christ, there is grace and forgiveness for all of our shortcomings. If we can learn to walk around with a filter that says, what does love require? It is a game changer. It will change your marriage. It will change your parenting. It will change your work. Some of you may need to get off social media because that's what love requires because you can't handle it. Some of you need to trade your iPhone in for a flip phone because that's what love requires. 
I'm telling you, when you ask a better question, it leads to a better way of living. So church, we are going to be in opposition. You can keep handling it with chaos and toxicity and feuding and blocking difficult people. Jesus is inviting us to a better way. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, there are people in this room that are still feeling wounded by toxic people, by enemies. Would you speak louder to them right now? Would you put your words in their head and heart? God, there's something so freeing to realize that we don't have to put on with each other. We can just be honest. If someone lashes out, we have grace enough to give them space. If someone is hurting and lashes out and they're hurting, we lean on what you say, not what they say. God, this changes everything when we get a gospel worldview and we root ourselves in the Prince of Peace. And so God, as we worship for a few moments, would you speak? Would you challenge us? Would you quicken our feet to live peaceably with all people as much as it depends on us? We ask this in Jesus' name.